Yo, yo, yo. What is up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Laces Out, the official podcast of the Pigskin Podcast Network. I am your host, Sohaib, and in today's episode, we will be continuing our seven-part series in which I go over each division and give a team-by-team preview on what to expect from each team this upcoming offseason. I go over things such as notable pending free agents from each team, potential cuts each team needs to make to get under the salary cap, and so much more. I will also be breaking down the news coming out of Los Angeles with the cuts of Bobby Wagner and Jalen Ramsey and talk about the implication of those real quick and so much more. So sit back, relax, get comfortable, and enjoy the rest of the show. Welcome back, everyone, to Laces Out, the official podcast of the Pigskin Podcast Network. Once again, I am your host, Sohaib, and before we begin, I just wanted to remind our first-time listeners that Laces Out is an NFL podcast in which I go over everything football. My goal of this podcast is pretty simple, and that is to break down everything that has happened in the NFL world and basically provide a unique insight on everything that has happened around the league. None of that league professional BS stuff. This is just, you know, a fan, a typical fan that you guys can relate to and kind of also people that aren't really that knowledgeable of football kind of explaining things to where they could understand what's going on around the league. So if this is something that relates to you, then this podcast is for you. If you're a diehard fan, this podcast is also for you because we have a ton of content that relates to you guys as well. With all that being said, Let's dive right into this week's episode. I know you guys are excited to get into it. Let's just start off with the division, the divisional previews. Let's head right into one of the strongest divisions in sports. Let's start off with the AFC North. Let's talk about the Cincinnati Bengals, and you know you got to start off with the champs. As much as it hurts, as much as it hurts for me, a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, to say, you got to start off with the champs. You got to give credit where credits due. As you guys all know, what I will be doing. I kind of switched up the format a bit. I kind of made it more more simplified, yet still a ton of detail is involved in this. The way I'll be doing it is go over notable pending unrestricted free agents that are expected to leave this team or potentially leave this team, go over potential cuts, how they can save money and whatnot, and then give my offseason checklist and ultimately what they need to do this offseason in order to take a step forward heading into next season so it's pretty much it's pretty straightforward you guys will kind of get the hang of it as we go along after i break down all these teams and give and go through the afc north i will then be breaking down the news happening out of los angeles with the bobby wagner and jalen ramsey release so let's get right into it let's start off with the cincinnati Bengals. as i said they currently have 36 million in cap space now it seems like a big number, a team that was just in the AFC Championship. How does that make sense? You know, that usually that means they are in such a good situation to where they could really be, you know, spending money elsewhere. However, that's not really entirely the case. You got the likes of Joe Burrow, the likes of Jamar Chase, T. Higgins potentially. They are all in line for a contract extension coming soon. So $36 million may seem like a lot, however, there's not really much they can do unless they do, you know, some cap maneuvering, which, you know, all teams end up doing eventually. But $36 million, I really wouldn't take that as a whole as of yet. I'd wait and see how they use it, whether they want to extend Joe Burrow this year, whether they want to save that money to, expend, to extend Jamar Chase next season or extend T. Higgins. There's so much that they can do with this amount of cap space to where I just... I doubt it goes to out. I I'll put it this way. I doubt they are major spenders, and you know, for outside free agents. I really believe they spend majority of this cap space on in-house free agents, and if they do, they spend on a one-year, mostly mostly two-year deal on a guy that could really help them take them to the next level this season. So that is my thoughts on you know their salary cap situation as a whole. As for guys that are expected to leave. 
they're not really losing much on the offensive side of the ball. They return 10 of their 11 starters, with all of them being under contract for at least this next upcoming season. So on the offensive side of the ball, they're pretty much set. However, on the defensive side of the ball, they are losing some really key guys. You got linebacker Jermaine Pratt, who's expected to walk in free agency. You got your starting safety duo, Jesse Bates and Von Bell. This, to me, is going to be interesting to see what direction they go with. You got a guy in Dexton Hill who could ultimately be filling in one of those safety roles. However, you got a guy like Jesse Bates, one of the best safeties in the game. You have the cap space. However, I spoke about the extensions that they have to make on the offensive side of the ball, which I feel like is a no-brainer. Do you invest significant money into a guy like Jesse Bates, who we all know is one of the best safeties in the game? Do you, because he's going to want to get paid like one of the best safeties in the game, do you invest significant amount of assets towards a guy like Jesse Bates when you have the likes of Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase waiting for an extension? That is a question that Cincinnati is going to have to answer. That is going to be really interesting to see. So how could they earn more cap space? There isn't really much they can do. The biggest one, and ultimately I feel like this is a bold one, is potentially cutting Joe Mixon. Again, there's other restructures that they could do, but this is the most notable one. Joe Mixon, you know, he. this is an interesting one. On his day, he's one of the best running backs in the game. There's no questions asked. His talent is there. That's, that's that. You know, I, I wanted to mention that first and foremost. However, there were times where Cincinnati would use Samaji Pirine more often than Joe Mixon. Now, I'm not saying Samaje Pirine is better than Joe Mixon. However, if you're not going to be using him as a workhorse, you know, three down back, because there are times when Samaje Pirine is the third down back. If you're not going to use Joe Mixon as a three down back, I don't think you need to be putting in money, especially when I said you have the, I'm going to be repeating that a ton with Cincinnati, when you have the extensions to be dealing with and, you know, a potential resigning in Jesse Bates. I don't think, when you, if you're able to save a significant amount of money, because Joe Mixon is one of the highest paid running backs in the game. If you're able to save a significant amount of money, because if you look at it, you cut Joe Mixon, you get $7.2 million, Or if you make it a post-June 1 designation cut, you get upwards of $10 million in cap space savings. So there is a significant amount of money they can save just by cutting Joe Mixon. And in a league where running backs really grow out of trees, that's really not that far-fetched of an option again i still think it's bold i don't think they cut joe mixon i think you have i think you keep your offensive core as is i just think if you really need the money and you want to re-sign a guy like jesse bates this is i feel like you decide between jesse bates and joe mixon potentially because paying a guy like jesse bates means you have to you know potentially not pay a guy like joe mixon that is See, that's why I believe the Cincinnati Bengals offseason is going to be so interesting. And that is, where are they going to invest their significant amount of cap space? Are they really going to save it for the offensive playmakers? Are they going to pay, pay a guy like Jesse Bates? Because if you don't pay a guy like Jesse Bates, you can bring, bring a guy like Joe Mixon back. That is going to be something interesting and definitely something to keep an eye on as well. Other than that, there isn't really any major moves they can make to get you know, more money, which I feel like is unnecessary considering the amount of cap space that they have. So now, I said, you know, players that are expected to leave. I said potential cuts. Now let's get into what the Cincinnati Bengals team needs to focus on in this offseason. First thing in my checklist for Cincinnati, and that is figuring out the secondary. Last season, we all know this defense played lights out. And honestly, their secondary was relatively solid throughout. However, they are expected to lose up to four starters in the back end, including, as I said earlier, their two starting safeties. Von Bell, Jesse Bates, Eli Apple, and the fourth guy is just slipping off the top of my head. But nonetheless, they're losing up to four starters in the back end. In a pass-happy league and in a conference in which you go up against the likes of the Buffalo Bills, the Kansas City Chiefs, this secondary is something that could potentially hold back Cincinnati if they don't make the right moves in order to improve this position group. Losing four starters is a lot. And yes, you got, you know, a solid front seven and you're expected to return majority of that front seven. This is a pass happy league, as I said. 
you really need to be strong in the back end in order to compete with the likes of the teams I mentioned earlier. So figuring out the secondary, you know, finding a replacement for a guy like Jesse Bates, who I feel like will be so, will be tough to do, but at the same time, for the money that he wants, I feel like it's gonna happen. You know, I spoke I spoke about him wanting to be paid as the highest as one of the highest paid safeties, if not the highest paid safety, and he should want that. He's one of the best playmakers in the game. He's one of the best safeties in the game. And he should want to kind of reset the market. And it's going to be really interesting to see whether they replace him or not. Because in my opinion, I feel like the caliber of Jesse... with a play, If you have a player with the caliber of Jesse Bates, I feel like you need to resign him if you're Cincinnati. Especially a team that's ready to win now. And the team that's win now window is kind of open right now. Because you can resign Joe Burrow. But you can kind of save cap space in a way. That's Cap space is weird. Even a guy like me that, you know, is an NFL junkie, I haven't really understood how this cap space thing works. They can extend Joe Burrow. They can extend Jamar Chase. However, they can still be saving cap space in these next few years. So re-signing Jesse Bates, even re-signing Jesse Bates could save some cap space as well. It would push it into future years. That part I know. However, for a team like Cincinnati that's been on the cusp of winning a Super Bowl two years in a row now, I feel like that is a move that they could potentially make. But now, like, kind of rounding back. I kind of went on a tangent there. Along with figuring out the safety position, I feel like they need a solid lockdown corner. Now, as I said, this cornerback group was solid. But I feel like the one true thing they were lacking in this defense, along with linebacker, of course, was a lockdown, shutdown cornerback one. You have a solid cornerback to in Jadobia Wuzie. You have a one of the best nickel corners in Mike Hilton. However, I feel like this team truly lacks a shutdown corner. And there were just too many times, and everyone knows this, where Eli Apple just got completely burned this season. And I just feel like a team such as the Bengals, and this is no disrespect to Eli Apple, it's just, I'm just stating it based off his level of play. A team that's ready to win now, such as the Cincinnati Bengals, you really can't make it far, and that has been proven year in and year out when starting a guy like Eli Apple. There were times, it gets you through the regular season, don't get me wrong. They've made it to the AFC Championship twice, they've made it to the Super Bowl once, but what was one thing that ultimately led to their losses in both years? In the Super Bowl, Eli Apple getting burned. In the AFC Championship, Eli Apple getting burned. That just can't happen for a team such as the Cincinnati Bengals. I feel like with, let Eli Apple walk, Get a lockdown corner. That is one of that should be amongst the biggest, along with re-signing your offensive stars. That to me is amongst the biggest things that the Cincinnati Bengals need to figure need to figure out. So to me, ultimately, finding a lockdown corner, along with figuring out the safety position, is all is absolutely crucial for the Cincinnati Bengals team. And looking at potential targets, this draft class is deep at corner. You know, I will I will be getting into draft content pretty soon but looking at this cornerback class and boy i'll tell you without really spoiling much this is a really deep class there are top end guys there are guys in the middle rounds that could be they could be studs i am really impressed with this cornerback class and luckily for the cincinnati bengals a team that's looking for a true shutdown corner this draft has some nice value throughout the entire draft and i feel like the cincinnati bengals don't really need to spend significant money in this position they can ultimately go with a rookie corner and let him develop because ultimately i feel like cincinnati in the regular season doesn't really matter i feel like they make this team is set on making playoffs for years to come so the regular season shouldn't really be a major issue with them so they can get in a rookie they can bring him in they don't have to start him day one they can get through the regular season similar to what you know the chiefs did with their guys and Follow, and following that type of method for the Cincinnati Bengals team could ultimately be what, you know, saves this defense. So that is one of the biggest priorities to me, and that is figuring out the secondary. So that is the first checklist, albeit a long one. That is my first thing, you know, that they need to get out the way. Now let's move on towards my second thing that they need to do, and that is shoring up the offensive line. We all know last offseason, the Bengals were major spenders in the offseason, and majority of that spending went towards the offensive line. And safe to say, it didn't work out. I'm going to be straight up. 
it did not work as we all thought it would. We thought that would be the missing piece. Joe Burrow would be the least set quarterback and whatnot. And that's not how it played out. Whether you want to blame injuries or just the lack of production, this group disappointed from top to bottom last season. So for me, I feel like the Bengals don't really have to spend big on this position. Ultimately, because they, they spent big. They got some really, really good playmakers. I feel like some people want to blame you know lack of production. Some people want to blame injuries. I'm more on the injury side. I feel like that really ruined the rhythm and lack of continuity really hurt this offensive line. So I feel like, you know, it's not do they have the players, you know, need do they have the right players needed to succeed across the offensive line? It's more of can they stay healthy? Can they have guys that can slot in, you know, due to the unlucky case of injuries that, you know, a team like Cincinnati really dealt with, especially in the postseason. So as I said, for me, I feel like not spending big should be the name of the game for the Cincinnati Bengals across the offensive line. However, I feel like they need to bring in a couple of solid veteran options. To me, that is important. In order to increase competition and to solidify the depth across the offensive line, we've seen in the playoffs against the Kansas City Chiefs. It worked against Buffalo. You know, they were able to get away with it. They had a complete makeshift offensive line. They were able to get away with it in Buffalo. However, in a AFC Championship matchup against one of the best you know, front fours, front sevens in the game, it came back to bite them. And ultimately, I feel like you got the good start. You got some solid starters. However, at the end of the day, you need to have reliable depth options that you can rely on given an injury or two. So that is something that I feel like the Bengals need to get taken care of, and that is signing some solid veteran options. This is something I don't think you should solve through the draft because I feel like as I said, you need an experienced guy that can come in at a short notice and really perform at a at a considerable level. That I'll leave it at that. But yeah, that is my second thing that the Cincinnati Bengals need to get taken care of. My third and final thing I wanted to talk about, and that is a point that I've been bringing up early on with the Cincinnati Bengals, and that is locking up Joe Burrow long-term. Now, I feel like this Bengals team is set up to succeed for a very, very long time, especially, especially with most of their players, particularly offensively, being under contract for the next few seasons. So there isn't really much needed to be done this offseason other than those two things that I said earlier. However, I feel like they could do something that would affect this team long term, and that is, as I said, extending Joe Burrow. My overall takeaway from this, get it done, Cincinnati. That is my piece of advice to Cincinnati. I am removing my Steelers, you know, if Joe Burrow leaves, bro, I'd be the happiest guy. But there's no shot, you know, Cincinnati, you know, would get rid of Joe Burrow. We've seen some crazier things, such as Baltimore potentially letting Lamar Jackson go. But to me, I get Joe Burrow's under contract. You want to you want to avoid a Lamar Jackson situation, and you want to extend him from now. People are going to say, you know, wait until next year. Use the cap space this year to kind of solidify the team around him. You know, you you, you have that extra year. My advice to you, my advice to Cincinnati, you don't want to do that. You see what's going on in Baltimore. You see how that's really affecting their offseason planning, how that's affecting their outlook for next season. So ultimately, ultimately, wow, I can't even speak. Ultimately, I believe Cincinnati needs to get it done this season. That's why it is up there on my checklist as most important things they need to do. I think extending Joe Burrow, this season, this offseason should be up there with the most important things to do for this Bengals team. But yeah, those are the three things I feel like if Cincinnati gets those taken care of, I feel like this can be considered a successful offseason and they can be, you know, cemented as the team to beat in this AFC North division. Now let's move on towards the next team, and that is the Baltimore Ravens, who came in second and last year's AFC North. They also have a considerable amount of cap space, however, with a caveat as well. They are at $25 million in cap space. However, they have the likes of Lamar Jackson, as we all know, as a pending unrestricted free agent. So notable pending unrestricted free agents includes, of course, Lamar Jackson, and then on the defensive side of the ball, Marcus Peters. The biggest topic in this Ravens offseason is Lamar Jackson. Will he resign? Will he not resign? 
that is a question that we will ultimately be finding out very very soon but before we get into that and kind of break that down in more detail i kind of wanted to you know go over potential cuts as well not much baltimore can do you know that's pretty much significant other than potentially similar to joe mixon this is this is a cut that they don't really need to make unless they're really hard pressed for money and that is calais campbell a guy who is getting older and older you could potentially replace him with younger options especially in the draft especially in free agency say you can save seven million if you cut him however i just don't think you need to cut him if you're baltimore especially if lamar jackson walks you want to have as much proven options on the defensive side of the ball especially if lamar walks as i said but but yeah, other, it's similar to Cincinnati. They don't really have any potential cuts. But let's move on towards what the Baltimore Ravens need to do this offseason in order to consider it a successful offseason, in my opinion. First things first, figure out what to do with Lamar. This is the biggest thing, as I said, the most important thing that they have to figure out because ultimately I believe this determines what direction they will need to go this offseason. You look at the two options. You re-sign Lamar, and now you figure out how to win now, and you pit- and I feel like you potentially throw all your chips into the next season or two. Lamar Jackson, if he re-signs with the Baltimore Ravens, is going to be amongst the highest paid, if not the highest paid quarterback in the game. So you're going sign- to be putting in significant amount of assets into the quarterback position if you're the Baltimore Ravens. So the key is winning, you know. If you give a quarterback that type of contract, you want to win now, you want to win within the next couple seasons. So if they re-sign a guy like Lamar Jackson to a monstrous contract, they are going to need to figure out how and kind of plan their offseason into building the team around Lamar Jackson. That is one option. The other option is moving on from Lamar, whether it's trading him or letting him walk, which I feel like would be stupid to do if you let him walk. I feel like you can at least get a first-round pick or more for Lamar Jackson. Then all of a sudden, you know, you're faced with a decision on whether you're able to compete now or not. I think it's still, you know, you're able to compete. However, that is a decision that the Baltimore Ravens will need to face. And because ultimately with Lamar gone, you potentially have to change the entire offensive play style to ultimately suit the next starting QB. And, you know, looking at potential options, let's go over some potential options as to who the Baltimore Ravens Say Lamar Jackson ends up walking or they end up trading Lamar Jackson. What direction will the Baltimore Ravens or what direction should the Baltimore Ravens end up going? Honestly, to me, there are a few options I feel like they can go here. My top option, and this is you know based on what I believe is best for fit-wise and best for the future of this Baltimore Ravens team, and that is replacing Lamar Jackson with the rookie out of Florida, and that is Anthony Richardson. To me, he's a player who I think plays really similar to Lamar Jackson and his ability to kind of scramble out of the pocket, make, you know, highlight real level plays and just display his overall athleticism and kind of use that to drive down the field every single drive. So I believe Anthony Richardson is a really solid option here and he won't cost much. You're starting to notice a trend with, you know, teams that win, you know, the Rams and Chiefs are kind of exceptions here. But the way you win in today's NFL is you get a starting rookie quarterback and you build the team around him and you take advantage of, you know, that rookie quarterback being under a rookie contract throughout. So to me, Anthony Richardson would be the best option for this Baltimore Ravens team. And for the reasons I mentioned, he fits this Baltimore Ravens offense. You don't really have to change much. So that's a plus. You have a quarterback under a rookie contract, so you can really, you know, invest significant amount of assets across the entire team, whether it's the offensive side of the ball, whether it's the defensive side of the ball. You can really be creative with the way you construct your roster if you have a guy like Anthony Richardson under center. And to me, I feel like he is the guy that, especially if you trade Lamar Jackson, which, you know, a team that comes to mind are the New York Jets. They could be willing to trade that first round pick and they have a top 15 pick you could potentially be getting Anthony Richardson with that first round pick. So you don't really have to trade up to get Anthony Richardson unless you want to, you know, be safe and, you know, sure and sound that you get Anthony Richardson. However, you can potentially get Anthony Richardson from a Lamar Jackson type of trade. So getting him isn't 
unrealistic, and that is another reason why I believe he should be the top option. But yeah, fit, I love the fit with this Baltimore Ravens team. And realistic, you know, chances, I feel like it is pretty realistic if they were to ultimately trade Lamar Jackson. And now before I move on to like the next thing that the Baltimore Ravens need to do, I wanted to list an interesting option. And before I say it, I know what you're ultimately going to think. And you're going to think this is a really stupid idea and that the Baltimore Ravens really shouldn't do it. But just hear me out. And this other option I want to talk about is Stetson Bennett, the quarterback out of Georgia. Now I get the whole, you know, he's 25, he, his team was just OP in college, and, you know, guys like him don't really succeed in the NFL. I feel like there could be a case made for Stetson Bennett starting for this Baltimore Ravens team, and, you know, it kind of contradicts my point I made earlier with not wanting to change this offensive style. The biggest question with Stetson Bennett to me is, does he fit this current Ravens offense part right now? Probably not. We know that. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sit here and lie and try to, you know, justify it or not. I'm, he doesn't fit this Ravens, this current Ravens offensive play style. However, I feel like the biggest key here to me is Baltimore's new offensive coordinator Todd Monken, and who, if you didn't know, coached Bennett the past few seasons. So if there's a coach that could get the best out of Bennett, I feel like it is a guy like Todd Monken. So you know, who knows? Maybe if Monken brings in Bennett and designs the offense to fit his play style similar to what he did at Georgia, this could be a move that really, really works for this Baltimore Ravens team. Because unlike Anthony Richardson, the one difference he has, the one advantage you can say he has over Anthony Richardson is probably being more NFL, more pro-ready than Anthony Richardson would potentially be had he, you know, had he been drafted to the Baltimore Ravens. Nonetheless, though, I feel like this is definitely... It's nothing more than an interesting option to me, as I don't ultimately see this as a realistic possibility, given the Ravens ultimately being suited for a more athletic, more running style QB. However, as I said, they can change their offensive play style. You got a guy that coached Stetson Bennett in college. That could be a a deciding factor as well. This is a team that wants to win now. Do they want to go with Stetson Bennett? I don't know. But this is nothing more than an interesting option to me. But ultimately, Anthony Richardson should be the number one option, in my opinion, to replace Lamar Jackson. Because ultimately, I feel like there isn't a QB out there that's available in free agency or available via trade, whether it's you know Aaron, Aaron Rodgers or Derek Carr or Jimmy Garoppolo. I just don't feel like they suit the offensive play style that the Baltimore Ravens are set, set up to run. I no pun intended there, but I just feel like their best bet is going with a QB from the draft, particularly the two guys I've just mentioned, because I feel like that gives them the best chance to win moving forward. Now on to my next bit of work that the Baltimore Ravens need to figure out to, in order to ensure a successful offseason, and that is building the wide receiver room. I feel like this one's fairly obvious for you know multiple reasons. We've been mentioning the past couple seasons with the Ravens needing, you know, wide receiver help, and yet they haven't really done anything to fix this issue. Other than Bateman, I don't really remember any significant investment they made into this wide receiver room, and you can argue that has been the reason they haven't made it far in previous seasons. Whether you want to say Lamar Jackson's injury, whether you want to say, you know, just going up against some really good teams, not having a premier wide receiver one is one of the reasons as to why they haven't made it far. So I feel like that is one of the main reasons, that is one of the first reasons I think they need to figure out this wide receiver one or wide receiver room as a whole. And to me personally, I feel like this is a need that needs to be addressed in both the draft and free agency. Whether it's trading for a top wide receiver or signing a proven veteran option in free agency, I feel like that is the first step they need to make in rebuilding the wide receiver room. Free agency comes before the draft. In my opinion, I don't think the Baltimore Ravens can afford going into the draft without signing a solid wide receiver, even if it's a wide receiver too. I think I just don't see a really a logical reasoning as to why they don't sign a solid wide receiver out of free agency heading into the draft. To me, if they don't do that, I really would be skeptical as to the direction the Baltimore Ravens are going. I get, you know, the whole they run too tight on sets and whatnot. I just don't really agree with that, you know, especially in today's NFL. And then the second step, you know, in rebuilding this wide receiver room to me is drafting a wide receiver and drafting a wide receiver early. 
early on in the draft. This wide receiver, similar to the cornerback class, this is a draft class that is filled with a ton of studs from top to bottom. And given the Ravens need our wide receiver, I feel like drafting one early, especially within the first three rounds, is a must in order to ensure they have, as I said, a solid and reliable option at wide receiver, something that they've really lacked in previous seasons. So to me, those are the two steps that, those are the two steps that they need to ensure to go through in order to kind of rebuild this wide receiver room. Let's call it that, rebuilding this wide receiver room. Those are the two steps I feel like they need to take in order to rebuild it heading into next season. And another point I wanted to mention before I move on to the next step is the thing about this particular need is that it doesn't really matter who they have at QB. I spoke about the Lamar Jackson situation and how that ultimately decides what direction they go. This doesn't imply to that. This doesn't relate to that. And the reason why I mentioned that is regardless of who they have at QB, I feel like they need to rebuild this wide receiver room regardless. You could say it's even more of a need if they go with the rookie option, as I said, like Anthony Richardson. I, To me, this is the most important bit of work they need to do, other than re-signing Lamar, of course. I feel like this is something that they need to get taken care of, especially, especially with the amount of defensive guys that they have locked up long-term. So to me, after Lamar Jackson, this is up there with the most important bit of work that they need to do in order to compete next season. And now moving on to my third and final thing they need to com- complete in my offseason checklist for this Baltimore Ravens team, and that is finding a solid starting corner to start opposite of Marlon Humphrey. We spoke about Marcus Peters, about being a pending unrestricted free agent, and I ultimately believe that he is expected to leave. His injury history and him getting older, and the Baltimore Ravens kind of needing cap space for whoever they have or whoever they plan on bringing in at QB. I feel like Marcus Peters is as good as gone. So to me, finding a solid starting corner opposite of Marlon Humphrey is a must for this Baltimore Ravens team. You look at how this defense is constructed. They currently have 9 out of their 11 starters under contract next season. So this defense is set to win now. And you really can't afford, especially, especially, I'm, I'm, I'm going back to this point, especially if you're going with a rookie QB, you can't afford to have any weaknesses on the defensive side of the ball. So to me, figuring out who's going to be starting opposite of Marlon Humphrey is going to be crucial for not only the success of this defense, but potentially the success of this team. And, you know, looking at potential, you know, options, fortunately for this team, as I said, this is a draft class filled with studs at the cornerback position. So to me, I feel like they should be able to find a solid starting corner to start alongside Marlon Humphrey to really slot into what is expected to be one of the top, if not the top defense in the league next season. So those are the three things that, you know, I feel like Baltimore needs to focus on in order to ensure they have a relatively successful offseason heading into next year. But that is it for the Baltimore Ravens. Now let's move on to the bottom of the division and let's talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers. My Pittsburgh Steelers, they are also facing a really interesting offseason. They don't got to worry about the quarterback such as the Baltimore Ravens. However, there are other things that they need to focus on in order to kind of put forward a competitive team in what is expected to be a really competitive AFC North division. So the Steelers, unlike the Cincinnati Bengals and Baltimore Ravens, they are, you know, pretty much tied up against the cap. They currently have one million available in cash. They are one million under the cap space with, you know, some pretty notable unrestricted free agents. You got the likes of Cam Sutton. You got the likes of Larry Agonjobi, Terrell Edmonds, DeMonte Casey, guys that were really, really, you know, significant contributors in this, you know, in the Steelers' defense. Those are guys that the Pittsburgh Steelers will need to, you know, make an attempt to resign. But we'll talk about that more as we move along. But how can they earn more cap space? The biggest, and I feel like the most easiest one, is cutting William Jackson. That saves $12 million for a guy that didn't even play... I feel like this is a no-brainer for the Pittsburgh Steelers. You, William Jackson isn't worth $12 million and I feel like cut, if you want to keep him, cut him, bring him back to a reworked contract. Whether that works out with the player himself, I don't know, but I feel like that is... The, it's either you cut him or you bring him back on a reworked contract. You can't pay a guy like William Jackson 
12 million. That is just my opinion. Other cuts they could make, and you know, this is a really interesting one, and it is Mitch Trubisky. You cut him, you save $8 million in cap space. However, given the injury history of Kenny Pickett, do you really want to cut Mitch Trubisky and kind of, you know, not have a reliable backup option? Because Mitch Trubisky, in my opinion, he's not a good starter, but I feel like he is one of the best backups in the NFL. However, to contradict that point, do you want to pay your backup $8 million? Because you could honestly sign a veteran option for like 2 or $3 million and still be set at the backup QB position. That is a question that Omar Khan is going to have to kind of figure out, and that is something that Steelers will have to figure out as a whole, and whether they want to keep Mitchell Trubisky. But if they cut him, along with William Jackson, that's $20 million freed up right there. And given the amount of players they need to resign, and given the holes they have across their team, I feel like that is something that, you know, they really need to take into consideration. And then other cuts, you know, it's not really that important, but Akello Witherspoon, a guy that barely played last season, he can save $4 million. I feel like that is also a no-brainer as well. Those are three of the most notable cuts that could save them a significant amount of money that I, I wanted to mention. You add those all you add all those up, and you can see the Steelers with roughly $25 million, and that's not including restructures that you can make with T.J. Watt, Cam Hayward, Minka Fitzpatrick, Deontay Johnson. There are a ton of options that they could potentially do with in order to gain more cap space. But now let's move on towards the offseason checklist for the Pittsburgh Steelers. First things first, I mentioned this, I kind of hinted at this earlier, but that is re-signing their defensive starters. Cam Sutton, you could argue and make the argument that he was their best and starting they, he was their best starting corner last season. So bringing a guy like Cam Sutton back, I feel like that is important in order to, especially with potentially releasing Akello Witherspoon and only having Levi Wallace as, you know, a solid starting cornerback in that cornerback room. Resigning Cam Sutton, to me, is a priority for this Pittsburgh Steelers team. Resigning Larry Agunjobi, if the money's right, he really stood out as one of the top performers in what was an opportunistic and a top-tier defense out in Pittsburgh. So resigning a guy like Larry Agunjobi, that is a significant thing they need to get taken care of. Resigning Terrell Edmonds. He really, he played last season on a prove-it deal. He's a guy that really showed that he, along with Minka Fitzpatrick, could be a really solid starting safety duo. So to me, signing those three guys, that is the utmost of their priority for the Pittsburgh Steelers team. And then re-signing a guy like Demonte Casey, who really performed relatively well for the role he played in last season. I feel like having that continuity, especially on the back end, I feel like that is something that this Pittsburgh Steelers team needs. And that is something that they need to get taken care of early and often before free agency. But that is first on my checklist for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Next up, and that is fixing the left side of the offensive line. This was a position group that improved throughout the season. However, the left side was the liability and by far. You look at the right side, you got Chooks, you got James Daniel, who, by the way, allowed zero sacks. And I think Chuck's only allowed one or two sacks, and Mason Cole allowed one or two or three as well. Nothing more than three. And then you look at the left side. Kevin Dotson and Dan Moore allowed a ton of sacks. I think Kevin Dotson had the most penalties among offensive linemen. And you really look at that, and you really believe that the Pittsburgh Steelers really need to fix that side of the ball on the offensive, on the offensive side of the ball. And I feel like they can go with multiple options here. Do they want to go with a stud free agent? I don't know. You have them. You potentially have the money. I feel like if they don't, it's either Orlando Brown or Bust. You know, they have two picks in the top thirty-two, and this is, I don't. It's a top-heavy offensive line class, but you could see some of the top guys really falling given the needs of other teams, especially with quarterback and whatnot. You can really get your left tackle of the future in the draft. So to me personally, this is how I feel like they should really go about. They should get a solid veteran offensive lineman, what even if it's for, you know, providing competition to Dan Moore. Get a solid tackle or, you know, for Kevin Dotson. Get a solid tackle or guard in free agency and then draft a stud in the draft. Whether it's with pick 17 or whether it's pick 32. You got guys such as the guy of Northwestern, I'm going to completely butcher his name, but Peter Skoronsky. You got Broderick Jones out of Georgia. You got Paris Johnson out of Ohio State. There's some studs in the left tackle position. Or you got the guy out of Florida, Osiris Torrance. 
they could really draft and build this offensive line through the draft and have a really young offensive line if they do it right. Or they can sign a solid, you know, reliable, proven starting option to really slot into this offensive line. There are many things they can do. However, I feel like they need to get it done. And fixing that left side of the offensive line, especially with a guy like Kenny Pickett, you don't want to have him under pressure a ton next season. So fixing the left side of the offensive line is up there amongst the biggest priorities for this Pittsburgh Steelers team. And now for my third point, and this kind of, you know, two points in one, but I'll like combine into one. And that is kind of retooling. I'm not going to say rebuild, but retooling this front seven. And what I mean by retooling this front seven, you're probably calling me crazy right now, but what I mean by this is, first things first, I feel like you need to get young across the interior defensive line. Cam Hayward isn't getting younger. You're losing Tyson Oswald to free agency. Montrevious Adams isn't all that. He's getting older as well. You know, still young, but he's not He's not a starter. You got the likes of, you know, it's really, that's really it. I feel like they need to go, you know, you have DeMarvin Leal as well. I feel like you need to get a guy that can rotate and really contribute at a really high level from year one. And I feel like that is the first thing they need to do in retooling this defensive line. Getting a solid run-stuffing nose tackle, that could be a top option. You know, getting uh, getting a stud in the draft from that. Or getting a, you know, reliable free agent, you know, for a cheap two-year, $10 million deal. There are options that the Steelers can do to really fix that interior defensive line. I feel like they need to sign depth across that as well. And also what I mean is... We know they their only linebacker they have under contract is Mark Robinson, so they really need to get that figured out. And also figuring out the off- the third outside linebacker position. You got TJ Watt, who's the best in the game. You got Alex Highsmith, who really broke out last season. However, after that, especially once TJ Watt went down, this edge rushing group really took a hit. And I feel like they need this is this should be amongst their biggest priorities, and that is getting a reliable third edge rushing guy in order to come in say tj watt gets hurt say alex highsmith gets hurt or say it's just you know for coming in as spells during the game i feel like they need a reliable option that is something they didn't have last season and that is something they didn't have the season before and that has really hurt them especially when a guy like tj watt went down with an injury this defense really looked you know really bad without tj watt and that is something that really can't happen next season so to me the biggest thing with this is in retooling the their front seven, get younger across the defensive line, get a reliable backup option at the edge rushing position, and finding a solid starting inside linebacker. That this is a position that really hurt the Steelers and with Devin Bush potentially and most obviously leaving in free agency, and Robert Spillane becoming a free agent as well. I feel like this is a position that the Steelers need to target in free agency, considering how weak it is in the draft class. You can see him making a run for a guy like Bobby Wagner or Tremaine Edmonds or David Long. There are some really solid options in free agency, and I feel like the Pittsburgh Steelers could potentially be major players in this free agent market. In this in the linebacker position, of course. You know, the Steelers are never, you know, premier playmate you know, premier guys in the free agency market, but Ironically enough, one of the biggest signings they've made was for an inside linebacker, and look how that turned out, just saying. But other than that, that is really like what I believe the Pittsburgh Steelers need to do on the defensive side of the ball, along with finding a, a starting corner. That's another thing, but you know, I'm, I can go on and on. I don't want to bore you guys with Pittsburgh Steelers content. At the end of the day, this is an NFL podcast and not a Pittsburgh Steelers podcast. But those are the main things I feel like the Pittsburgh Steelers need to do in order to ensure they can field a competitive team in a tough AFC North division next season. Now let's move on towards the final team, and that is the Cleveland Browns. They are a te- they are the only team in this division that is that is above the cap. You know they are negative thirteen point five million dollars, and you know over the cap, and they have some pretty notable free agents expected to leave this team. You got the likes of Kareem Hunt. You got potentially Jacoby Brissett, who was a really solid backup option. And then you got starting linebacker Anthony Walker. Those are the notable guys that I really wanted to point out as pending unrestricted free agents. So how can they get under the cap? There isn't really any major cuts they can make that really makes sense for this Cleveland Browns team. However, there's a lot of restructuring they can do in order to get above the cap. First things first, Deshaun Watson. 
they restructure his contract, they can get upwards of $33.7 million in cap space. So that alone takes them above the cap. They want to earn more? Restructure the likes of Amari Cooper, Miles Garrett, who Amari Cooper gets you 14 mil, Miles Garrett gets you 12 mil. You want more? Restructure the likes of Wyatt Teller, 8.5 million right there. You add that all up, you get upwards of you get roughly $67 million in cap space savings, and that could make you got like significant players if you're a Cleveland Browns fan. And that's that, that's really interesting. But say they save all that money, say you know they get above, they get under the cap space, right? What do they need to do in order to ensure they feel the competitive team next season? And there isn't really much they can do, because on paper you look at this roster, right? It doesn't need a lot of changes in order to get back to winning ways. I feel like with the players they have, they are built to win now. It was just a really unfortunate season last season. However, I feel like there are a few things that they need to take care of in order to avoid a repeat of last season, which was a really disappointing season last year. But the first thing that should be on their list is, I don't know how they do this, but getting Watson back to his old self. The last two years, as we all know, have been, you know, really rough on Deshaun Watson with all the off-field issues and whatnot. I'm not going to get into the specifics of that. We all know what happened. But it, at the end of the day, it has been a rough few seasons for Deshaun Watson. Now he ultimately has all of that behind him. I feel like he can now focus on the season ahead and actually have a full offseason knowing he doesn't have any potential distractions or suspensions and whatnot. So I feel like that's good for the player himself and for the team. Now what does Cleveland have to do? I feel like they have to ensure that the no distractions stay and they have to figure out how to get Watson back to his old ways because if they can get him playing the way he played in Houston, this could be a really, really scary team next season. So that's why to me, it's not you know figuring out any positions or whatnot. To me, figuring out Deshaun Watson and getting him back to his old ways, that's the first thing on the list and that is you know getting Watson back to his old self. That is first things first. Second thing, building up that front seven around Miles Garrett. This was a front seven that really didn't have any playmakers other than Garrett. You can say, you can argue, you know, Jeremiah Wusokaramoa, you know, he was, is there really another player who really stands out as someone who says is athletically gifted or can make a play when needed the most? Not really amongst this front seven. Jadavion Clowney was expected to be that, but ultimately he wasn't. It's just something that has plagued the Browns the past couple seasons, and I feel like that is something that the Browns really need to fix. Look at the division they're in. You got the likes of Cincinnati. You got the likes of Baltimore. Having a solid front seven is a must, in my opinion, in order to contain those type of offenses. Joe Burrow and that Bengals offense, they can beat you in the run in the pass. Baltimore Ravens, they can beat you in the run. And not having a solid front seven to stop both the run and the pass that is something that you could argue really hurt them last season, and that is something that could really hurt them in seasons to come, especially in an offensive-led league. And it's really interesting, this this type of need that they have, because we all know they don't have a first-round pick this year. So ultimately, how do they improve this is I feel like they need to get some playmakers through the free agency or ultimately through trade. There are a ton of guys out there who make sense for this team. I spoke about, you know, potential linebackers. I feel like that is one of the biggest things they need to do, get a solid linebacker. And getting a edge rusher opposite of Miles Garrett. So I feel like there are a ton of guys out there that make sense, and it's just a matter of Cleveland going out and getting those type of players. But that is my that that is my second part as to what the Cleveland Browns need to do. And my third part is back to the offensive side of the ball, and that is finding a competent wide receiver three or two whether you whether you believe dpj is a wide receiver two or not but besides amari cooper and maybe dpj this team doesn't really have that many reliable pass catchers david and joku is good but how often does he play no disrespect and as much as i like dpj he simply isn't a wide receiver two on a contending team it hurts to say that but that is ultimately what i think you know, as a Michigan guy, I I really like I really love DPJ coming out, but I just don't think he really fits the mold of a wide receiver too on a contending team. Now he can get better. He's still a young wide receiver. He can ultimately get better and prove me wrong. But as of right now, I feel like the Cleveland Browns really need to get 
this position right in order to compete with the likes of the teams I mentioned earlier. And, you know, you can make the argument the Browns are a run-heavy team and whatnot. You know, they don't really need wide receiver. However, I just don't feel like that cuts it in today's NFL. At the end of the day, you're going to need to score 30-plus points. We've seen the Super Bowl. We've seen the AFC Championship. We've seen those games. The winners ultimately scored above 30. And if you want to compete with the likes of the Chiefs, the Cincinnati Bengals, the Buffalo Bills, I feel like ultimately you need a good passing game to reach that point. And in order to have a good passing game, you need to have reliable pass catchers across the field. So for me, going out and getting a guy who can make plays when called upon or step in, say, for example, due to injury, that's something the Browns need to focus on this entire offseason. And whether that's through free agency or whether through that's through the draft, because I said earlier, this draft is filled with a ton of good wide receivers. So even though they don't have a, a first-round pick, they could still get a really solid option in day two or maybe even day three. But that is something, that is a position of need that I feel like the Cleveland Browns need to get taken care of, especially in a really tough AFC North and AFC Conference as a whole. But with all that being said, that really wraps up this AFC North preview. Stay tuned for the other divisions as they, those episodes will be coming out fairly soon. Now, before we move on to the next segment, I wanted to give a quick shout out to the sponsor of this episode, and that is DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NFL and the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in free bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every single day. So just go over to the DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt-in, and place a same-game parlay on any NBA game, and if it doesn't hit, you'll get a free bet back. There are games such as the Los Angeles Lakers who are starting to hit a, hit a groove now. Or, you know, whether you want to bet on the Phoenix Suns winning it all. Or Dallas Mavericks, Luka Doncic winning MVP. You can do that, same game parlays, and so much more only on DraftKings Sportsbook. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code TPPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NBA and get $200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with code TPPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void in Ohio. See show notes for details. All right. Let's real quick. You know, this episode has gone longer than I went on longer than I expected. So let's quickly go over some news around the league. So out in Kansas City, we all know about Eric Bieniemy heading out to Washington to be their new offensive coordinator. The Kansas City Chiefs have found their replacement, and they have got it in Matt Nagy. I expect nothing much to change with this Chiefs offense. Andy Reid was calling the plays. And if you guys were amongst the people that said Andy Reid is the reason for the success of that offense, then this move means absolutely nothing to you. At the very most, this move at most affects Patrick Mahomes. If anything, I don't expect this offense to change a bit. So that is that. They just It's just a name at this point. But Matt Nagy is the new offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. Out in Denver, Sean Payton has solidified his staff on offense. He has hired, he has made official actually, not hired. He has made official the hires of Joe Lombardi, John Morton as the pass game coordinator, Kerry Colbert as the wide receivers coach, Declan Doyle as the tight ends coach, and Zach Streif as the offensive line coach. On the defensive side of the ball, Vance Joseph returns to Denver as the defensive coordinator. Marcus Dixon, defensive line coach. Greg Minuski, inside linebackers coach. Christian Parker, defensive backs coach. Michael Willow, outside linebackers coach. And then for special teams, Mike Westoff, assistant head coach. Ben Katwika, special teams coordinator. Chris Banjo, assistant special teams. And so on and so forth. So Sean Payton's staff is in place. I'm really skeptical on the Joel Lombardi hire. I just don't get why he keeps getting chances after failing at Detroit. Not failing, but really not living up to expectations with the quarterbacks he's had out in Detroit and in Los Angeles. Now I get Sean Payne is probably going to be calling the plays and be in charge of that offense. However, I just feel like Joel Lombardi is a really mediocre hire. Vance Joseph, I find, as a really solid hire. He's a good defensive coach in the league, and getting him as a defensive coordinator, I feel like that is a solid hire for Sean Payton and this Denver Broncos team. 
But now let's move on towards the biggest news that you guys wanted to talk about and wanted to hear about, and that is Jalen Ramsey and Bobby Wagner. Let's start off with the Bobby Wagner news. As you guys all know, the Los Angeles Rams released Bobby Wagner in what was seemed as a surprise, and what made it even more of a surprise was that it was mutually agreed to. And some like key, key notes you want to take away from this move from Los Angeles Rams, it looks like they're rebuilding. I don't know what to think of it other than that because you get rid of Jalen Rams, you get rid of Bobby Wagner. Those are key playmakers on the defensive side of the ball, and you're doing it to save cap space. I really don't understand that because they're really, they really even haven't fallen off. So to me, that was just kind of interesting. And an, another interesting note, you know, the Rams, if they were able to trade Bobby Wagner, they probably would have, they would have cleared 8.75 million. And so it makes sense given that if they were to trade him, a team would have been taken on 11.75 million dollar cap hit. So it, it made sense as to why a trade didn't happen. Instead, the Rams clear the Rams clear 5.25 million dollars in cap space by releasing Bobby Wagner, and ultimately, the biggest takeaway from this, from the Rams' perspective, as I said, was rebuilding. But from Bobby Wagner's perspective, he probably seen like after having the performance he had, he can probably earn himself a bigger contract, considering the weak draft class at the linebacker position, considering the amount of teams that have a need at the linebacker position. He probably believed that he could earn more than the money he currently had. So that that's a reason as to why Bobby Wagner probably mutually agreed to this move. Now, potential fits for Bobby Wagner. I, I mentioned the Pittsburgh Steelers today as a potential fit. The Detroit Lions come to mind as a potential fit. They're a team that's ready to compete now. Going for a guy like Bobby Wagner could really help mentor that young linebacker group out in Detroit. You got a team such as the New York Giants that have a major need at the linebacker position. All three of these teams are teams that could potentially make a big run for a guy like Bobby Wagner. Other teams include the Patriots, albeit they want to go younger at that position. The Carolina Panthers, they, they're looking for linebacker help. Going for a guy like Bobby Wagner could really help these teams, really solidify the linebacker position, and really put these teams amongst the top defenses in the league. So that is something to keep an eye on. Now speaking on... Jalen Ramsey, Bobby Wagner's former teammate, and Tom Pelissero came out with the news that Jalen Ramsey has been the subject of trade talks between the Los Angeles Rams and other teams, and that a trade is likely in the works and is potentially coming in the coming weeks. Now, looking at this move as a whole, Jalen Ramsey currently has one of the biggest cap hits amongst the team. He has a $17 million cap hit in 2023. So if any team were to trade for him, they would have to worry about that $17 million cap hit for this season. However, if he's restructured or extended, that you know that majority of that could be cleared for this upcoming you know, salary cap season. But it's going to be really interesting because Jalen Ramsey is still amongst the top cornerbacks in the league. And whoever gets him is going to be getting a starting caliber lockdown shutdown corner. So who are considered who, who do i believe to be the best landing spots for a guy like jalen ramsey the first team that comes to mind is the detroit lions brad holmes is building something special out in detroit and i feel like getting a guy like jalen ramsey could really similar to bobby wagner could really help this detroit team and take them over the top you got you know some so, you got a solid pass rush led by aiden hutchinson you got some young linebackers you got some really young corners in jeff okuda and you know, Kirby Joseph, you get a guy like Jalen Ramsey, you draft another safety in the draft, and all of a sudden this Detroit team could be really scary, especially defensively, next season. So Detroit Lions to me really, and they have the draft capital, they have the cap space, so to me they, they're the number one landing spot for Jalen Ramsey. Another interesting landing spot is the Carolina Panthers, and I really like this fit for this Carolina Panthers team and for Jalen Ramsey, you know. I feel like he fits a guy like Evro. You, you look at their defensive coordinator, I feel like he fits his system really well. And getting a guy like Jalen Ramsey could really solidify this Panthers defense and put him amongst the top in the league. Because if you look at this defense, they're really missing that lockdown corner other than J.C. Horn, who has been inconsistent with his playing time given his injury history. But getting a guy like Jalen Ramsey to mentor a guy like J.C. Horn to really solidify the opposite side of the field, that could really be you know, a really solid fit. And on an interesting note, the Panthers hired Rams defensive backs coach Jonathan Cooley to be their defensive backs coach next the next season. So how does that affect 
you know, the li likes of acquiring Jalen Ramsey. So those are the two main landing spots that I re would really like to see Jalen Ramsey head to. But there are other landing spots, such as the Tennessee Titans ha that have a need at the cornerback position. Are they going to rebuild? Now they got the cap space. Do they go for a, a guy like Jalen Ramsey to solidify that defense? The Baltimore Ravens, I spoke about them earlier today. They need, uh, they have a need at the cornerback two position, although I don't really like that fit considering Jalen Ramsey thrives more in a zone coverage type of defense, similar to the Titans. They run, they like to run a ton of man. And then you look at teams such as the Pittsburgh Steelers that want, that need a shutdown corner, the Minnesota Vikings, the New England Patriots potentially, but they run a lot of man, so I don't know. The Philadelphia Eagles, they got the draft capital. Can they make that work? There are so many teams that are going to be in the line that are going to be in the works for Jalen Ramsey, and for good reason. And I really believe that whoever ends up with Jalen Ramsey, whoever ends up with Bobby Wagner, if they end up with a package deal and get both, such as you know a team like the Detroit Lions, that's really entirely possible. They are going to be getting some really good players and players that could really take your team over the top. As for my predictions, I think Jalen Ramsey goes to the Detroit Lions, and Bobby Wagner. I think he goes to the New York Giants. I think they are a team that would be willing to give him the amount of money that he wants. And I really believe that Bobby Wagner and the New York Giants make perfect sense. So Bobby Wagner, I'm predicting he goes to the Giants. Jalen Ramsey, I'm predicting he goes to the Detroit Lions. With that being said, that brings us to the end of this episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed listening to this offseason preview series part two out of seven. That's the name. I don't know why I said all that, but... Thank you for listening to this episode brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. Be sure to tune in to our episode next week where I will be previewing the AFC West and the AFC South, so stay tuned for that. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us at LacesOutNFLPod on Twitter and at LacesOutNFL on Instagram. Finally, if you like this episode, make sure to subscribe and leave a review on wherever you listen to your podcasts. We are available on all the major podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and so much more. Thanks again for your support. I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Stay safe, stay well, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your week.